Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. And Lord, in these minutes now, would you, uh, by the power of your spirit, be speaking to us and helping us to dwell in your word, that it might be a part of us and impact our living in this world now. Amen. Well, there are some people out there who are not sure if Jesus ever said that he was the Messiah. Uh, Maybe he was just a good man or an interesting teacher. But it's hard to read this passage, isn't it, and think that's true. For verses 25 and 26 that we had read to us says, I know the Messiah's coming, says the woman. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. It's pretty clear Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the Saviour for the people. And this is an incredible passage that we have before us, and we're just going to walk through it a little bit this morning. And my hope and my prayer, as we're in John's Gospel over the coming weeks, is really just a chance to sit afresh with Jesus Do we know Jesus? I'd like to know him more. And as we sit afresh with Jesus and we see the type of person Jesus was, it then impacts, obviously, how we consider God as a whole, God the Father and God the Spirit as well. And so we've had these wonderful encounters in John, and we're just going to kind of go through that a little bit this morning. I've cut all jokes from my sermons day, partly because I want to watch a little bit of video in a minute and to kind of speed it up, but also because yesterday I had the privilege of speaking at a church, another church out in Ware, and they were having a whole Saturday of teaching, and I was doing all the talks, and it was going quite well. And then I got to my last talk, and I told them a story some of you here will have heard me tell of when I was late to a funeral, and it was all a bit of a disaster, this whole funeral service, and it was kind of funny, but but a bit of a disaster. And I was telling them this story to make one of my points, and then in the front row, this guy just keeled over, and I thought, oh my goodness, the irony, I've just been talking about funerals, this guy just killed over, and it was horrible, no one did anything. They all just sat there. And I was like, <laughs> so I, I kind of carried on for a bit. Then I thought, I can't carry on. I've got to see if he's, he's okay. Apparently, he just faints all the time, and that's why they were ignoring him. Um, but anyway, it was, <laughs> I just thought, oh, that's it. I'm cutting all jokes from my, my talk today. Um, <clears throat> anyway, here we are, back, back to the passage. Last week, uh, we met Nicodemus in the night. This week, we're meeting the Samaritan woman, in the midday sun. And there's so much in richness in John's gospel about dark and light. In the night, Nicodemus comes and he remains wavering in the moment. His faith isn't secure yet in who Jesus is. And we have a sense with Nicodemus that it takes quite a while for him to begin to really realize who Jesus is to ask his questions, to ponder and to think. But we have a sense at the end of John's Gospel that Nicodemus has realized that Jesus is uh, the Messiah because he really puts himself out on a limb by going and asking for Jesus' body 
At a moment when Jesus' disciples had fled, he bravely goes and asks for the body of Jesus and wraps the body up and prepares it for death, which would have been a job of uh, slaves at the time and, and possibly some of the women, but certainly not for a man of position and power. And he lowers himself to serve the Lord Jesus in that moment of death. And there's a sense in which you see his devotion and his continual journeying towards Christ. But in the moment of chapter 3 that we met him last week, he's still very much in the dark and he's on a journey and he's wavering. Things happen at night time in John's gospel. Judas leaves the upper room in the night. He betrays Jesus in the middle of the night. Ananias tries him by night and Peter betrays him in the night. But by the bright noonday sun, the Samaritan woman comes and she believes in an instant her journey is very different to Nicodemus she believes and is sent out as the first woman preacher of the gospel during the day people are healed during the light 5,000 more are fed Jesus operates in the light and of course, there's spiritual things for us to gain and, and learn from this. You know, in the natural, uh, the natural world often reflects things of God, doesn't it? And natural sunlight is so good for us. Um, it boosts our vitamin D, which apparently is very good for keeping our bones strong and uh, keeping weight down and uh, can be good for sort of uh, just our whole heart and, and our whole selves. And Yolanda's a doctor, maybe she can confirm some of that, but it's really good for us. It can ward off seasonal depression and a good amount of daily sunlight can improve our sleep. So in the natural world, there's a sense in which light can do so much for us. But in the spiritual sense, when we're brought into the light of Jesus, we are transformed, we're changed, and we see things differently. We're refreshed by God. And Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. They'll not be left in confusion. They'll not be left in depression. Instead, they will have my light of life in them. There's other things that we see in this incredible encounter with this woman. Jesus brings a lot of truth into his encounter with her. And there's several things that happen where Jesus does some remarkable kind of deconstructing of social norms you see when we're with Jesus he brings light but when we're with Jesus he also brings truth a truth that's refreshing and satisfying for us he doesn't just go with the flow of everything he challenges things appropriately so let's just look very quickly at four things that Jesus does in this encounter which are just utterly radical the first one is that he breaks the social taboo against talking to a woman. This was a culture in which a man and a woman would not even, you know, make eye contact with one another. 
Jesus massively breaks a lot of social norms in this encounter. And he continues to do it through his ministry. He invites women to be his disciples, to sit at his feet and to learn from him. He also allows himself to be financed by uh, women. We see that in chapter 11 with uh, Joanna and others in Luke who finance him. He also has some women who seem to travel along with him. This is a massive significance at the time, hugely significant in raising the position of women in society. And Jesus just does that in his everyday life, in his normal encounters. And here at this moment, chooses to take the time to speak to a woman, despite the risk both to to him and to her from the perceptions of society. Sometimes Jesus calls us as his followers to take that risk too. To spend some time getting to know someone who's very different to us and to share the love of Christ with them. He also does another thing. He ignores the fact that there's a 500-year hostility between Samaritans and Jews. This was massive. The Samaritans and Jewish people did not talk to each other. There was a 500-year-old hostility between these people groups. And that doesn't matter to Jesus in this moment of encounter. The third thing Jesus does, which I think is utterly radical, is that he humbles himself so that he needs her service. So he says to her, when she arrives, can you give me a drink? He meets her in that place of utter humility, of allowing himself to have a need for her. Sometimes as a church, we've not done very well at being actually needy. Um, You know, sometimes when we engage people who are different to us or have different beliefs to us, it's good to allow them to serve us as well as for us to serve them. After all, we are all on a journey of getting to know God better. None of us have everything right, do we? In Romans chapter 3, it tells us we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of God's grace. And so Jesus models a way of approaching somebody of difference, which is very beautiful and something that we can take and practice in our lives to allow ourselves to be served by others. I don't think it's very British, is it? We're not really very good at it. Can you help me? Can you be my friend today? I really need some company today, or ah, I need some help. Not great at allowing others to serve us at times. And here Jesus models it in such a way that it breaks down barriers and allows for the conversation that follows. Of course, in that moment, Jesus is also elevating the the woman's self-worth because he's asking her to help him from the resources she has. He's saying, you are important. I see you. You have something to offer. And those things are always beautifully powerful for us to hear, aren't they? 
And of course, as the, the conversation goes on, Jesus and the woman uh, have a very interesting uh, conversation, don't they? And Jesus fully understands and knows this woman and knows all about the messy stuff in her life and still delights in her and still calls her out to go and be a messenger for him. But they have in the verses before us what comes across, I think, as quite a muddled conversation. So Jesus, uh, if you look at verse 10 onwards, Jesus answered her, If you know the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, Sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. Basically, the woman says, uh, how are you going to get living water? You don't even have a bucket. Are you better than Jacob, who dug this well, who who actually did give us water? And so there's a bit of a muddling going on. She doesn't really realize yet that Jesus is speaking, or maybe she does but doesn't understand that Jesus is speaking in metaphors a lot of the time here. Saying, I actually have within me this light of life this water of life that will refresh your soul that will bring to you a healing and understanding of yourself that will draw you into the kingdom of god that you too are a beautiful daughter of the heavenly father god and i have eternal life to offer you I have things to give you that will satisfy you for eternity. And that's going to be better than any relationship with a man or anything else you've got going on in your life. And then Jesus sort of uh, doesn't really get into this debate because he's sort of saying, are you better than Jacob? And kind of, it was a bit of a political kind of debate about whether Jacob was like for the Samaritans or Jewish people. And, and Jesus kind of ignores that. And he sort of just carries on with his point. Everyone who drinks this physical water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the stuff I give, the water I give, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life and we've seen Christians haven't we time and time again over the years testify uh, to the fact that Jesus brings a life into them that they they just can't like fully explain but that sees them through the ups and downs of life that sustains them over the years that helps them walk their lives on this earth And I don't know about how you're doing at the moment uh, with all the things that are in the news. It's really tough, isn't it? It's horrible. Um, I had the privilege of spending four weeks in the Ukraine when I was 16, which doesn't really give me any right to speak in any way. But I, I loved meeting the people, and it's painful to see streets. I know I've walked physically down myself being attacked. And yet the scripture has hope for us, even in the most darkest of hours. And I was listening to a Christian pastor from the Ukraine saying, the Bible tells us there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. It doesn't pretend, does it, that everything's going to be okay on this earth. But we do have a hope in a God who's bringing eternal life, who will one day wipe every tear and right every wrong. And we will continue to cry out in prayer to him now. You see, if anything, these situations remind us that we really need the light of Jesus Christ. 
You see, we can be tempted in our comfortable situation and the fact that we've in many ways not experienced too much bother over the past 50 years or so in the UK. Um, it can be tempting to think we don't really need the light of Christ because we're okay. And sometimes it's these horrible things that happen which make us suddenly realize, oh my goodness, the world is still such a mess. I mean, we do see it all the time around us too and in our own hearts, but oh my goodness, we really need the light and truth of Christ. And then we get Jesus tackling the woman on the things that have been messy in her life. Go call your husband, he says to her, and come back. And she has to say, I don't uh, have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you've got five husbands. And um, the woman sort of says, ah, I can see you're a prophet. Um, right, let's talk about something else. Uh, why do our fathers say that we've got to worship in the temple, but we say we've got to worship here? She kind of basically, don't deal with my sin. Don't deal with my mess. Anyone done that with Jesus? I'd rather just ignore that mess. Can I just distract you by saying, why have you not come back yet, Jesus? Or why have you not stopped this war that's happening? Uh, don't, don't deal with uh, my mess. Very natural thing. And Jesus allows her that digression and ends up teaching her something incredibly profound where he says, he kind of does away with the religious constructs of the time and says, do you know what? What I'm looking for is worshippers who will worship in spirit and truth. And it doesn't matter physically where you are to worship me. And we have this amazing teaching around that. This encounter with this woman's deeply profound. So much in it that we could continue to unpack. But Jesus doesn't want to leave her in the dark. He wants to bring her fully into his light, to fully embrace her, and then to send her out as a believer in him. And uh, just to kind of watch how this may have played out, we're going to watch a clip from The Chosen, and uh, we're finishing with that. And it's just one way of imagining the encounter that took place. It sort of fills in, in with sort of a bit of... Uh, creative license, perhaps some of the gaps in the conversation that we don't see in the text, which may have happened, they may not have happened that way, but it gives us a bit of understanding just to sit and absorb this encounter and to be refreshed in it for ourselves today. And to know too that Jesus longs to encounter each of us in this way, to bless us with his light, to bring us into his presence and to commission us to be his children in the world.